President Trump and congressional leaders are promising tax reform. But reforming the tax code is really hard, no matter how glaring the problems and how eager policymakers may be to fix them. The last time it happened was in 1986, when Congress passed legislation that slashed tax rates, plugged countless loopholes, and made the system fairer to working Americans. And they did it without adding to the deficit. Nothing like this has happened before or since. What made it possible then, and what would it take to do something like this again? For answers, we will turn to people who were actually there. Jean Sterley coordinated the team at the Treasury Department that drafted the initial proposal. Janice Mays worked in the House Ways and Means Committee to craft a reform bill. And Howard Gleckman, then a reporter for Business Week, covered the long struggle to turn what had once seemed like a pipe dream into the law of the land. Welcome to Taxology the podcast brought to you by the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center in Washington, D.C., a joint project of the Urban Institute and the Brookings Institution. I'm your host, Kathy Schalk. We'll start this podcast with President Ronald Reagan and his 1984 State of the Union Address. I am asking Secretary Don Regan for a plan for action to simplify the entire tax code so all taxpayers, big and small, are treated more fairly. I've asked that specific recommendations consistent with those objectives be presented to me by December 1984. Our second great goal is to build on America's pioneer spirit. I said something funny? Why were members of Congress laughing? They were thinking this was that even though Ronald Reagan was calling for a tax reform study, that there never was going to be a tax reform bill. Were they also thinking of 1981, when a so-called tax reform turned into an embarrassing tax break extravaganza? Lots of goodies have been handed out over the years, not just in '81, but before that. Um, that was the, the 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 story of tax tax bills for years and years was that they, they, they provided special interest tax breaks to lots of people. Gene, what else did members of Congress find so hilarious? There was no consensus on what tax reform even meant. Congress broke out in laughter when he asked for tax reform thinking, well, if 81 is an example of what you want in tax reform, that's not what we're going to get. Uh, and he said, I want to study to come out of Treasury, and then he said, after the election's over, which was also part of the reason for the laughter. It's like, well, when, when I don't have to discuss it or take any worry about it, it's becoming politically sensitive, uh, uh, then we'll have the study. None of this was preordained at all as, as to what was, was actually done. Very, very seldom, whether you're talking about Treasury or the Joint Committee on Taxation or Congressional Budget Office, are you actually allowed to put forward something that says, here's how we might actually try to do this to get at some of these problems people have been talking about for, for years. And that was a total happenstance uh, from, from the way things evolved, the president asking for a tax reform study and then totally backing away because he didn't want it discussed during, during the, uh, the campaign. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a somewhat unique opportunity, but it does tell you how important, whether you replicate that or not, it does tell you how important it is to have people who have some idea of where you can take this system. Sort of, if you want to, the, the plumbers and the engineers who can tell you, if you really want to have a building, here's one way you can put it together. So there you were, tax geeks with a clean slate 
and no politicians or lobbyists bothering you, what did you set out to do? This may sound like a simple principle. One principle, for instance, is equal treatment of equals, a principle that goes all the way back to Aristotle. In the tax code, it means I don't want to tax people unevenly unless I really have a good reason to do so. So if Janice and I have equal incomes and there's nothing else differing us, why should Janice get a tax break that I don't get? And so you start applying what may sound like very simple principles, but they have extraordinary consequences when all of a sudden you go through the tax code and you say, whoa, what is this item doing here? Or why do we favor this particular type of business over this type of business? Or why is this individual getting a tax break? It'll, it gives you a, a, a set of mechanisms by which to examine hundreds and thousands of provisions in the tax code and actually see what, what needs, to be, needs to be reformed to follow those principles. So the real challenge was to take that sort of intellectually elegant design that Gene and his colleagues put together for Treasury One and turn it into something that could actually become a law. Because there was a lot in there that an economist would find beautiful and a politician would find completely impossible. So the challenge at each step of the way was, was to maintain those principles as much as possible while making lots of adjustments. Janice, what was it like to make those adjustments? You worked for a pivotal figure in getting this passed, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dan Rostenkowski. Rostenkowski, who came from a very relatively lower income working class community, his four daughters were working and he felt they were paying more tax than the millionaires were paying. And to him that was very personal. He had wanted tax reform for a while. He had watched Gene's things on the millionaires not paying tax and thought about his daughters. He um, would read the stuff about the corporations that didn't pay any tax. And when Reagan began to want it, he saw a chance to come together and to surprise people. Every Democrat up until that point had blasted the president for something in all of these. And so for him to endorse the president, he kind of liked the irony of that. One of the things he did with the president was he said, let us make the sausage without you commenting on it. You've started the process. You've given us a proposal. Now when we're doing things along the way that you hate, try to hold your tongue. And President Reagan did that. Still, it wasn't easy, was it? You went home at night knowing that tax reform was dead. And you came back the next day tired and broken and began to say, oh, can we put this piece back and that piece back? And some of the people that had torn it up, partly because they loved their chairman and wanted, didn't want to shame him in a way. They would come back and you would kind of try again and they would give up some of their victories against you. It was a, it was a very interesting process. Everybody who worked on it, every member, and not that many of them are still around, every member who worked on tax reform, it was their bonding experience with everybody else who worked on it in all aspects throughout their entire lives. At every next stage, there was one person who was responsible for getting it to That's the next it, stage. Right. Jim Baker first, when he came over from the White House saying he was going to push for tax reform, which put him in, in the mode that he had to come out with Treasury to. Then Rostenkowski, who said, I want to do something with this committee. And then of all people, Bob Packwood, who had spent a career arguing how we needed all these tax breaks because it was only the only way we were going to help, help, help people. And the fact that each stage, one person got held responsible. I think actually, I'm not saying it was planned that way, but I think that was actually one of the stories why, why this, this bill passed as well. People started calling it the dead cat problem. 
And the idea, the idea was this was too big for you to be the one who killed it and have this dead cat laid on your doorstep. But in part, it was a chance to have a point in history that was yours. And it was both of those things. It took that balance between those two things to get there. And, and do you, does God always put the right people in place at those moments? You wouldn't have necessarily thought these were those people, as Jean said. But somehow they rose to the occasion. Howard, what was it like to cover this? All these editors were sitting around a room, a table like this, and firing questions at me for an entire day about whether or not this thing was real and wasn't I kind of leading the magazine down this path that was going to be a waste of time. Um, so there was a huge amount of skepticism. And you know, Janice talked about the, the number of points along the way where the bill almost died. And in every one of those steps, I was getting editors who were saying, see, we told you, this isn't going to make it. This is a dead story. This has been, we're wasting our time. So I think there was a lot of it. I mean, news organizations, just as politicians can be risk averse, so are news organizations. Later, uh, you know, late in 85 and then certainly through 86, you know, Janice was talking about sort of the community of staff. There was also this community of reporters. And there were probably 20 or 25 reporters who were covering this thing full time you know, ranging from small trade publications to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And we were kind of living together with the staff and with each other. I can't tell you how many times I slept on John Sherman's couch um, while the committee was meeting overnight. Um, and the reporters learned more about it. Some of them were Hill reporters who didn't really know much about tax. And as, as everybody got to learn about this, I think the coverage was relatively positive. My skepticism was always the Senate, um, the Finance Committee. You can hardly imagine a group of people less interested in tax reform than the Senate Finance Committee. All these guys were there because they were taking care of special interests. Um, but I think I also had the feeling that once it got that far, going back to the dead cat, that once it got that far that they weren't going to let it die. But, you know, it had, I don't know, a good half a dozen near-death experiences. You went without sleep for days. For two years, you didn't pay your mortgage because you would forget to. You'd barely bathe. But it was one of the most worthwhile things because it was aspirational to try to get it done. And the more you could achieve, the better. So this process went on and on and on for, for as Jean said, for a couple of years in his case, for over a year, Janice's. And uh, the bill was finally finished. Uh, the conferees were meeting in, in, in the Ways and Means room, this big, ornate, beautiful Ways and Means room, and they were there all, literally all night long. And it was very early in the morning, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, something like that, and they came out and they announced they had a bill. And this room of people were just exhausted. It was lobbyists and reporters and staff, and it looked like, you know, after a really long night at a bar. I mean, everybody was just beat to death. But, you know, they announced that the bill was done. So what did Democrats get out of this reform? It did make the system more, more progressive. It, one of the things we were most proud of was it took six million people off the rolls that had been paying tax before. And what made Republicans support it? There were tax lawyers all through this, this process who had had relationships with clients who were in the oil and gas industry or some other industry. But they knew how ugly the system was. I mean, they knew better than anybody how this worked and, and, and how these, this was not really good tax policy. And, uh, you know, they were in a different role now. 
and, and their role was, at least for some of them, was actually to create good tax policy. For others, it was to create a, a lasting legacy. And they really make the trade-off. Yeah, and to be clear, there were a lot of Republicans in the public who, who favored the tax reform. But that said, one of the interesting moments of this debate was the bill passed the Ways and Means Committee. It was on the floor, and it almost failed because there, were not there was not Republican support. And Ronald Reagan had to personally pitch tax reform to House Republicans. One reason why presidential support and a well-organized reform is so crucial because otherwise you're facing this issue about why would I vote for something and offend all of these people who are going to come. The people who didn't win because it didn't pass are going to say, gee, thanks. The people who see that I oppose them are really going to come after me. And so if you want to get momentum behind a reform, you really need to have some sense that it's, that it's a reform not only makes sense, and, but it can pass. And Ronald Reagan was a popular president. Yes. And it helped that he was pushing hard for it. And I view one of the problems today is they have not decided what tax reform is. If you ask the public what they thought tax reform is, they think it's a middle class tax cut. But if you've watched the news from Washington from the last three years probably, it's been all about corporate taxes, and how we modify them so our international business can participate better overseas or we can bring their untaxed earnings back to the U.S. or, you know, this corporation and that corporation, kind of how we, we deal with that. And at some point, whoever is going to lead this into whatever stream it's going to swim in is going to need to set, here are our two primary goals or our three primary goals. And at the moment, you don't have that. I think the other issue is, think about, you know, the, the trust issue. So in 1986, or 1985, 1986, Ronald Reagan said to his constituency, I'm going to do tax reform, trust me. Dan Rostenkowski said, I'm going to do tax reform, trust me. Now, if, if, if Donald Trump says, trust me, immediately 60% of the population is going to go the other way. If a congressional Democrat says, trust me, I mean, the, 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 the Hill trust level is a 20%, you know, the idea that I'm from the government and I'm going to make your tax code better is a big lift in 2017. But you could write a pretty good tax bill that would satisfy the interests of both liberals and conservatives. The, the corporate rates are too high and there's too many, too many preferences. I think everybody agrees on that. What the problem is now, once you get below 20,000 feet and say, which of those preferences are you going to get rid of, that's when things start to come apart. So back then, a Republican president teamed up with Democratic lawmakers over the objections of many Republican lawmakers. That kind of bipartisanship would seem preposterous today. What else was unique about that era? You do have to kind of have the magic of all of the pieces come together. You have to have the people at Treasury, like, like June was, reminding people of where the problems are today. You know, for us in 86, you had the millionaires not paying tax. You had working class people who were on the committees, the tax writing committees. And, and you, you did sort of have a, a perfect union of all of that that you don't often get, but you do have some of those same things today in the sense people don't think the system's fair and they think others are getting away with something and they're not. 
You've also got this time around the business community kind of clamoring for its own tax changes. You also need, I think, political leadership uh, in 86 for various reasons. Uh, uh, Chairman Rostenkowski and President Reagan really wanted to do tax reform, uh, and they were willing to, to commit uh, really a lot of political capital to make that happen. Um, this year, clearly in the House, um, Paul Ryan uh, and Kevin Brady really want to do tax reform. It's really not clear how enthusiastic the Senate is about this, and it's not clear from day to day how enthusiastic the White House is. Let's, let's remember, too, that when we're talking about 1986 tax reform, we're talking about a very specific type of tax reform with very broad base broadening in exchange for lower rates. Uh, there's also the notion that it's revenue neutral. If you think back throughout over a hundred year history of the income tax, it was really the only, the only tax reform of that type. But broad-based base broadness are really only occurred once, which just tells you it's not something that's very easy to do. It doesn't mean you can't learn from how people crossed the stream the last time, but it's a different stream. It's got a different flow of water. Maybe the, the, the boundaries are different. You can learn from it, but, but trying to replicate exactly the same thing is very, is very hard to do. Thank you to our panelists, Jean Sterley, Janice Mays, and Howard Gleckman. I'm Kathy Schalk, and thanks for listening to this edition of Taxology. Mm -hmm.